you have a copy of the scriptures with you this morning, if you would uh, turn with me to Matthew chapter 7. Uh, we're going to take a look at the first 12 verses uh, of uh, Matthew chapter 7 together this morning. And um, as you're turning there, and, and the words are in your bulletin, they should also be on the screen behind me as well. We are, uh, we're coming to the end of uh, our summer series uh, on the, the Sermon on the Mount. And if you'll remember, we, we started this series with the passage that we're going to look at again next week, with the end of Jesus' sermon, and how Jesus is leading up to this question about where we find our foundation. Do we find it on ourselves, which Jesus says is really shaky? Or do we find our foundation on Christ, who is solid and sure? And he tells us, Uh, That we have to be very discerning because the counterfeit, the shaky foundation, looks an awful lot like the real thing. But the difference is the heart. The motivation behind our actions and our words. And today what we're going to do is we're going to take a look at a pretty well-known passage. If you have uh, any exposure to the church in your life, my guess is you've heard this passage before. Where Jesus addresses the idea of judgment. And he talks about prayer, and then he ends with what we know as the golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do uh, unto you. So with that uh, introduction, uh, let's read uh, God's word uh, together for us this morning. And beloved, remember, we're a people who need to receive. And so let's hear this knowing that our Father desires to give us the good gift of mercy and grace together. Judge not that you be not judged. For with judgment you pronounce you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to use. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but did not, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye. And then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you? If his son asks him for bread, we'll give him a stone. Or if he asks him for a fish, we'll give him a serpent. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Let's pray together and ask God to help us understand his word this morning. Uh, Father... Uh, We pray that you would help us understand your word this morning. We pray that you uh, would send your Holy Spirit to soften our hearts, to see our need for your mercy and your grace, and that that is fully and finally seen in the person and work of your Son, Jesus, our Savior. And we pray these things in his name. Amen. Uh, This passage, as you can probably already tell, is for the judgmental. Uh, For the people who look at others and think to themselves, I'm just a little bit better than them. I'm just a little bit smarter than them. I'm just a little bit more right 
than them, more moral than them. And I hope that in that description that you notice that there is very much a us versus them kind of mentality to that thinking. There's very much a spirit of dividing. And what's true is that none of us are exempt from this. Every single person in here, including myself, has at one point in time thought to ourselves, I'm just a little bit better than name the other person. And remember, all along in Jesus' sermon, he loves us enough to be honest with us. He loves us enough to be honest with us about our hearts. And this passage is like every other portion of Jesus' sermon Jesus goes underneath our actions. He gets underneath our words and he gets at our hearts. He gets at our motivations. And what Jesus is doing is he is teaching us how we are supposed to relate to each other and how we're supposed to relate to God. Okay, so in your bulletin where you've got sermon notes, those are, those are our two points this morning. Relating to each other and relating to God. And if you want to put a title up there, you can put the title, The Rule of Grace and Mercy. So Jesus wants to teach us this morning about what it looks like for us to relate to each other. And he starts off right there in verses 1 and 2. He says, Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. Now, the word judge holds shades of meaning. It's not like the word judge means just this one thing. It actually has several different layers that are to it. On the one hand, we actually make judgments every single day. We judge which is going to be the fastest route to get to uptown, which right now, it's, you don't know. Because there's so much construction going on, like you have no idea which way is going to be the fastest way. It might actually be to drive to Little Washington and come in the back end. I'm not totally sure. But, but that's, that's a judgment. That's a judgment that we make uh, every single day. We also know that there are other places in the Gospels that Jesus actually tells us we're supposed to make judgments. If we read further on in Matthew's Gospel, we'll ultimately come to chapter 18 of Matthew's Gospel, where Jesus will tell us that if we see a brother or sister, someone in sin, that we are supposed to go to them And talk to them about that. That too is a judgment. So what is Jesus saying and doing here? With he's saying judge not that you be not judged. I actually think that Jesus is normalizing the idea of judgment here. Because remember we have to consider the, the context. Who are the first people who are hearing this? And in Jesus' context, as he's preaching this sermon, inevitably, some that would be present would be the Pharisees or the religious elite amongst the people of God who would have been there. And what the Pharisees had done with judgment is they had actually depersonalized it. They had removed relationship from it. And Jesus is personalizing judgment for us here. He's not saying not to judge. He's not asking us to ignore sin. By no means. But Jesus is telling us that judgment must always be in the context of relationship. 
Always. Always in the context of relationship. And he's saying, in our relationships, watch yourself. Watch yourself. Be careful with your judgments. Jesus is telling us that none of us holds the final verdict over another human being. That is God's business. We should be very hesitant and careful in leveling judgment from the standpoint that we should all recognize that we are all accountable to a higher court than human judgment. We are all accountable to a heavenly court that is judged by the only one who has the right to judge in an ultimate sense because God is the only one who is good and just and holy and can rightfully make those judgments. And another thing Jesus wants us to see is that we should be merciful in our posture of judgment too. You see, because God never judges without offering mercy, beloved. He always offers mercy. And so Jesus is telling us, watch yourself, slow your roll, slow down. Before we go around tossing judgments, we should slow down and look in the mirror first. He's saying, be merciful. Don't think too highly of yourself. Think more highly of others. And I think that we should also recognize that oftentimes what we consider to be judgments, which is like what is right and what is wrong, are actually preferences. They're not really true right and wrong. They're actually just our preferences that we have. I I can't tell you how many conversations that I have been in, I've had, I've even been the one leveling the judgment, okay? So I'm, I'm bringing it on myself here about parenting and what is the right way to parent and what is the wrong way to parent. And we very quickly move from preference slash what is wisest for us and our family and that particular child and what's going on in that particular child's life to my way is the right way and your way is the wrong way. And so Jesus starts with relating to each other by saying, watch yourself, be careful with those judgments. Start with recognizing that you too will be judged by the one true judge of all things. By our God who always offers mercy in the face of judgment. And then Jesus goes on to use this illustration uh, about specks and logs in verses 3 through 5. Look back with me at that. Jesus says, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Jesus is actually giving us another paradigm for relating to each other here. And it's rooted in the fact that God is the ultimate judge. And he does this by talking about specks and logs. And what Jesus points out to us is that we are really good at seeing the specks in others. That is the small stuff, the little things. And we're really good at missing The logs in our eyes, the big stuff, the floor joists. And the paradigm is this, 
is that we should relate to each other seeing the bigness of our own sin first and foremost. And the principle is this, be self-reflective. We should be a people who are quick to ask, what are the planks that are in my eyes? What are my logs? What are the big tree trunks that are in my eyes? We should be quick to ask that question about ourselves. And sometimes, I think this is really hard. I think it's really hard because I think that the the planks that we have are subtle and pervasive at the same time. They're subtle, but they're also all over the place. They are not necessarily something that is obvious to see all of the time. The plank of pride is a good example of this. Because pride is often inside of our own heads and not necessarily out with our words. We think we know more and care more than others. And maybe we don't ever even say that out loud, but man, that is the talk that is going on inside of our own heads. It's always there. It's always underlying everything. And therefore, it's underlying all of our interactions that we have with each other. It manifests itself in just constantly trying to get everyone to agree with you. Do you do that? Do I do that? I know I'm guilty of this. Here's how subtle this is in my own life. Um, I love to cook. I really enjoy cooking. My dad cooked a lot when we were growing up and just passed it down. Um, I really enjoy cooking. And there are certain dishes inside of the Watson household that, that JP cooks. Okay, But then there are times where we make the meal plan for the week and we didn't account for this evening, whatever, had to happen. And so Carrie has to cook uh, the meal that John Paul would cook. And then, maybe even inevitably, that meeting in the evening that needed to happen didn't need to happen anymore. So John Paul gets to come home and Carrie is making the dish that John Paul normally makes. And I can tell you, My very first thoughts when I'm watching Carrie make that is thinking to myself, "Mm, she's not doing that right. (laughs) That's not how I would do that. I would have cut the chicken up and then cooked it. I wouldn't have cooked it whole and then cut it up. You see how subtle that is? But I very quickly go from preference to judgment to my way is the right way. That's pride. And if it's working its way out in our homes, you best believe that it's working its way out in your other relationships outside of your home as well, too. And the reason that I, that, that I point out pride here is because I, I really think that that's one of the big sins that Jesus is getting at and leading up to in his explanation, in the verses that we'll look at again next week, of the counterfeit. Of the thing that looks like the real thing, but is not actually the real thing. Pride works that way. It looks good on the surface, but underneath, there's something that is boiling underneath that is incredibly damaging and destructive. And I think that that's where Jesus is ultimately getting to. In talking about the foundation that is built on 
self. You see, it's the person who is prideful that looks at Jesus' sermon as a list of things to do so that we can look the part. While never actually getting underneath at the heart of the matter, which is judgmental pride. And beloved, the application of this is as broad as we can imagine. It's as broad as we can imagine. Because do we think that we're just a little bit better than other people? How about generationally? Do you think that your generation of people is just a little bit better? I mean, I know that I... I I am convinced at times that I have a market, um, that I have cornered the market of moral superiority on my children. That I'm somehow more moral than they are. That I'm somehow, that, that my heart is somehow better than theirs. I can't tell you how many times and how often I just assume my children's motives. And Jesus is saying, watch yourself. You think you have the market of moral superiority covered? And I see this in conversations amongst generations as well, too. A couple of weeks ago, I got the opportunity to take several of our high schoolers up to Maryland. And I, I, I taught a class while I was there. And it was a class on Christianity and culture. And... Um, and and I wanted to spend a little bit of time encouraging the young men and women that were in front of me, who were 15, 16, 17, 18, uh, 18 years old. And after the class was over, one of those young women, she could have been, she could have been more than 15, came up to me and she said, um, I just want to say thank you. Uh, I want to say thank you for saying encouraging things about me and my generation, because I don't think I've ever heard an adult say anything good about my generation. It works the other way too. Young people, do you think that older generations and your parents are just always out to get you? I mean, it goes both ways. Like every generation of people thinks that we somehow cornered the market of moral superiority. And Jesus is saying, watch yourself. Watch yourself. Do we think that we're better than people who don't vote like we do? who don't look like we do, who maybe they don't listen to the same music that we do. Maybe we're constantly thinking to ourselves, well, I'm more devoted than they are. And Jesus is gently telling us that we all have planks in our eyes, beloved. We all have massive oak tree trunks in our eyes. What are my planks what are your logs? What are our tree trunks? And then the other piece that is here is who is helping us see these things? Who's helping us see our planks? You see, because Jesus goes on to say in verse 4 that it's only when we see the planks in our eyes that we can help others see the speck in theirs. In order for us to help others see the speck, Here's what has to happen. We first have to invite others to show us our planks. Jesus is saying, relate out of your weaknesses. 
Relate out of your sin struggles with others. Invite others in to help you see your sin. Ask others to walk with you and help you see pride. Help you see your judgmental spirit. Your critical, cynical, and skeptical approach to life. And as we invite others in, what happens is we too are invited into the lives of others. So that what Jesus has in mind here is this mutual help. Each of us has in helping us see our sin and our shortcomings that we might grow together in grace. So who are you inviting in? When's the last time that you asked someone, hey, can you help me see my sin? Can you help me see my blind spots? Because it's only through those kinds of relationships that we will ever gain the right to help others see theirs too. We need each other and that's exactly what Jesus is getting at here. And then we come to verse 6 and Jesus provides what seems like a really strange analogy. Look back at verse 6. So Jesus goes on talking about specks and logs and judging like we can follow that. We're there. We're with you, Jesus. And then he says, don't give dogs what is holy and don't throw your pearls before pigs lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Now, I don't know about you, but as I was reading through this passage, I was thinking to myself, "Mm, I'm not sure what you're doing there, Jesus. I get the specks and logs thing. I get where you're going with, with, with prayer. I see that. But what's this whole dogs and swine and holy and pearls thing going on here? Well, I was encouraged to know that I was not the only one who was wondering that as I was reading this week. Um, and there, yeah, scholars have looked at this passage for many, 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 many years. Um, and, and one of the things that, that, that scholars have pointed out that Jesus is getting at in this passage is that he's talking about uh, sharing uh, the gospel to those who are hostile recipients. Like if we find ourselves in relationships where, uh, where we are sharing the gospel and it just continues to get met with like real hostility and everything, Jesus is saying, like, feel free to, to leave that. Uh, feel free to, to, to go on from that. But I think that there's actually something that's more connected to verses 1 through 5 that Jesus is getting at. You see, because at first glance, this feels so out of place, but if we consider the rest of what Jesus is saying in the first five verses in that context, then I think we can see what Jesus is doing here. Because ultimately, Jesus is saying that as we relate to each other, and as we relate to others, be discerning. Be discerning of others, And be discerning of ourselves and our own motivations. Here's how this works with this verse. You see, Jesus is getting at being discerning as we relate to others out of weakness. Remember, Jesus is ultimately leading to talking about the counterfeit in verses 13 through 27. The thing that looks like the real thing but is not the real thing. And one of the ways that Jesus describes the counterfeit is that the counterfeit is a ravenous wolf. And Jesus is telling us here, if we are in relationships where we find ourselves leaning in with weakness, 
leaning in with struggle, and we find that that is being met with harsh judgment and not with mutual weakness and mutual need of God's grace to us in Jesus, Jesus is telling us, be careful. Be careful. Because that person may be willing to take your confession and attack you with it. And there's also a more subtle version of this discernment too. too. You say, because Jesus is also saying, be careful of people who will point you to themselves instead of Jesus, who is the holy and the pearl here in his analogy. He's saying, these will be the kinds of people who pose as those who want to disciple you. But in reality, they are mostly interested in just duplicating their own experience in you. And this is modeled by having to have particular experiences and particular responses. That maturity looks a very particular way. And stripped down, it's just a method and rule-driven faith, not a grace-driven faith. Jesus tells us to be discerning and be careful that we are not opening up to people who will use us and use our sin and struggles against us to heap shame and point us to a method instead of helping us see Jesus together. You see, because Jesus is very concerned that his bride is not devoured by ravenous wolves. And the other layer that Jesus is getting at is he's also giving us a warning to be discerning of ourselves, too. And so Jesus is saying this, too. If you're relating to others in pride and with a judgmental and critical spirit, if you are being pushy with the gospel from a standpoint of others' needs and not your own, if you are just looking to point people to you, and functionally make them focus on you and your walk with Jesus, Jesus is saying, do not mistake pride and arrogance for the gospel. Do not mistake pride and arrogance for discipleship and mutually striving to see need for Jesus. And so Jesus is saying again, slow down. Check your own motives. Check your own heart. Check whether or not you really believe the gospel of grace. You might be actually trampling the gospel underfoot. You might be a ravenous wolf, a dog, a swine. Now, let me encourage you. If you're sitting out there and you're asking yourself and you're wondering to yourself, am I I that? If that's your response to that, Be encouraged. I don't think that Jesus is talking about people who ask of themselves, is that me? Potentially, like potentially, could I be that? I think that Jesus is talking to the person who would say, there's no way I would ever be that. There's no way I would ever be a ravenous wolf. If we're sitting out there and we're asking ourselves, man, is that potential inside of me? Be encouraged. Jesus always meets you with mercy and grace. Well, Jesus tells us how we are to relate to each other, and then he turns to tell us how we're to relate to God. Look at verses 7 through 8 with me. 
Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, it will be opened. Jesus is telling us that our basic and most fundamental language and how we relate to God is prayer. And our prayers should be from a posture of needing to receive from God. That's why Jesus says in each one of his descriptions, it carries with it a need for us to receive something. Ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. We are always in a position of needing to receive from God. Now, I don't know about many of you, uh, but the kind of church tradition that I grew up in uh, really took these verses and turned it into that we, should, that we should go to God with our wish list of everything that we want and bring it to him and he's going to give it to us. And if he's not giving it to us, then that means that, that maybe we don't have quite enough faith. And we just need to work harder. And we just need to have more faith. Uh, that's the kind of tradition that I grew up in. And what I want to tell you this morning is that that is not what Jesus is doing here. At all. That's not what he is doing at all. You see, because this passage, 7 through 12, it's not separate from verses 1 through 6. They, they work together. And so Jesus is saying, ask God to show you your planks. He will. He'll be faithful to do that. He's even saying, come to God and even seek of him to show you things that you don't even know that you need to see. Knock on God's door and he will open up to you his grace and mercy to show you the logs that are in your eyes. To show you your sin. And then Jesus makes the case for the goodness of our heavenly father by making a comparison with our earthly parents. In verses 9 through 11, Jesus says here, Which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? If he asks for fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven... Give good things to those who ask him. Now, I want to carve something out of the way here because when Jesus uses the word evil here, he is is referring to just the general sinfulness of humanity. To what Paul talks about in his letter to the church at Rome that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And Jesus is saying, Look at how even our sinful parents give us good gifts. If they give us good gifts, then how much more will our Heavenly Father, who is only and always good, give us good gifts? Well, that sounds great. I love gifts. I really do. But Jesus, what, what, what gifts are you talking about here? What are the gifts that Jesus is talking about? Well... We have to remember that just a few verses earlier, the passage that we looked at last week, Jesus tells us to seek God's kingdom and his righteousness. So two of the gifts that Jesus is talking about here that he has in mind are righteousness and God's kingdom. You see, and it really fits perfectly with our passage here today because we should ask God for righteousness 
which fits perfectly with bringing our planks to God and asking him to help us see them. Jesus says our Heavenly Father gives the gift of righteousness, of forgiveness for the logs that are in our eyes for our sin, and ask God for his kingdom to come and his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. Ask for God to give us that good gift in our own hearts, that his kingdom would come into our hearts and that he would shape our wills to his. Seek forgiveness. Seek God's kingdom. And forgiveness and God's kingdom, it has to include judgment, beloved. You see, judgment is the thing that ties this whole passage together. Because God has assessed everything in us. And judgment has been rendered. But it's been rendered through Jesus. Forgiveness is needed because God's justice exists. If we don't need judgment, then we don't need forgiveness. And we need judgment. Because truthfully... I know I have. We've spit in our Father's face and said, you don't really know how to run the universe. I could do a better job than you could. We've said, I think we judge better than you do, God. Leave the judgment up to me. I can't tell you how many times that I've judged without mercy, without offering the very thing that God offers to us in Jesus. And forgiveness... And God's kingdom comes to us in only one way. It's through the best gift that God has ever given us. It's through Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection. Grace to forgive is only found in the one true gift, Jesus. And Jesus, he shed his blood for our planks. Jesus died for our judgmental spirit. Jesus was crushed for our critical approach to life. Jesus went to the cross for our cynical attitude. Where we have withheld mercy, Jesus always and only has given us himself. Jesus gave his life for us. He became our pride and our arrogance on the cross. And even though he never knew a shred of pride, not a shred of arrogance, the invitation to come to Jesus, beloved, is as wide and as broad as we can imagine and then some. We are invited to see the gift of Jesus and consider for ourselves how we might be building our foundations on self. And ask him to show us that. That we may repent and turn from our sin and run into his merciful and gracious arms. And find freedom from our lives that we are just trying to build on self. That we're trying to build on on our agendas, our preferences, our expectations. And when we see our need for Jesus, we see our need for grace To forgive our sin. And God's good gifts don't stop there, beloved. They keep going. 
You see, because the good gift of Jesus is the grace to forgive, and it's also the grace to grow. To grow in Christ-likeness, to mature. Jesus doesn't just get us in the door and then leave the rest of it up to us. It doesn't work that way. He grows us in the very same grace that sent him to the cross to shed his blood for our sin. And this grace, it recognizes God's mercy toward us, and then it works that very same mercy into us to be a people who have a merciful posture toward others. That's exactly what verse 12 is about. It's not about me and you treating someone in a particular way in hopes that we would get something in return. God is actually working into us not the golden rule, but the rule of mercy and grace. You see, because God has been nothing but merciful and gracious toward us in Jesus. And we should be a people who desire to have that posture toward each other. Don't offer judgment without mercy. God never does that. Jesus does not tell us to watch ourselves, to see our big sin, and to be discerning without giving us the reason why. Because God has been merciful toward us in Christ. Jesus gives us grace to be a merciful people. To offer help instead of judgment. To give the same grace given to us in Christ to others. To assume that we are prideful. And to strive to assume that others know more and care more than we do. To look at our own sin before pointing out others. To discern when we are in the midst of the counterfeit. And to be careful with our tender hearts with those people. Jesus is very concerned to protect us. Be careful with people that you see that are being very prideful and just trying to point you to themselves instead of pointing you to Jesus. Don't, don't give your tender heart over to them. Don't do that. Jesus is very concerned with that. And at the same time, Jesus tells us to be bold in inviting others in. To be bold in inviting others in that are interested in us seeing our need for Jesus together. To help others see their sin Because you would want them to help you see yours. To be aware of the needs of others. Beloved, to see each other with the eyes of mercy and grace. Which is to see each other with the eyes of Jesus. And it is that exact same mercy that God has shown us in Christ. That brings us to the meal that we get to take with each other this morning. You see, because as we come to this table, we're proclaiming something. We are proclaiming together that God has been merciful to us in Jesus. We are proclaiming that Jesus has become our pride. That Jesus has become our arrogance. He has become our judgmental and critical spirit. He has become the logs in our eyes, beloved. And in place of that, he's given us himself, which is true and it's pure and it's right and it is without sin. And so in Jesus, we have righteousness. 
He is our gift of mercy and grace. And so when we come to the table, we proclaim that together. And we also get to celebrate, too, that God is at work. And he continues to grow us in that very same grace. He's making us a merciful people toward each other. That we would relate to each other with eyes of grace. With the eyes of the best gift that's ever been given to us. The eyes of Jesus.